Genesis chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 24. Uh, Continuing on the theme that we picked up on uh, last Sunday evening, End Time Events. Uh, Jesus, speaking in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, speaking about his coming to this earth again, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as in the days of Noah were, so also will the, the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then, of course, in Genesis chapter 6, Jesus was referring to verse 1, It came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, that they took, then they took wives for themselves of all they choose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. There were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, but every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, so that God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its length 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. And you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I am bringing... Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which 
is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. There shall be male and female of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you and keep them come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Amen. Let's just stop there for the moment. Now, just prior to the days when Christ would, Christ would return, you see there that he said that there would be various signs, that there would be wars and rumors of wars. He mentioned this, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. There would be great earthquakes in various places. There would be famines. There would be pestilences. Uh, there would be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars. The very powers of the heavens would be shaken. And he said that, Kingdom would rise against kingdom. There would be ethnic fighting, that means. Also, he said that men's hearts would fail them for fear from the expectation of those things that would be coming upon the face of the earth. And in, in among all of those signs, he mentions the Noah generation. He refers way back to the beginning. And he said, as it was in those days, so it will be in the days before my return. And so, we have to look at this tonight. Does our generation resemble Noah's generation? That's the question. Are the conditions today similar to the conditions of Noah's day? We're going to see this in a moment. Now, Noah was born about 1,000 years or so after Adam. He lived until he was 950. In fact, only two men lived longer than he did. Methuselah, who lived to 969, and Jared, who's 962. That's a long, long time, isn't it? Of course, this was in the early days of mankind when sin, even though it had infected mankind, but it hadn't run its, run its full course in a physical way. Of course, Man's life expectation today after thousands of years is a lot less, isn't it? I read in the paper the other day. In fact, there's, I don't believe there's one single nation on earth where the expectation of life is even 100 years. They say in Britain today it's 80 plus years. There's some nations it's only 40 plus years. And so they lived a long, long time. Now, in Noah's day, there was a tremendous population explosion. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says that men were multiplied greatly upon the earth. So this is not just talking about a little group of people. We're talking here about a massive population explosion. Sometimes, you know, when you read Genesis, from one verse to another can cover hundreds of years. So let's not be fooled into thinking that we're talking about just a few people here. This is a lot of people. This is a big population spurt. And also... Had we read chapter 4 of Genesis, we would have seen that in the days of Cain, he founded a city. 
And that was the beginning of, of, of people being urbanized, the population become more urban, and cities beginning to sprout up. And in that era of Cain, the Bible in the book of Jude talks about the way of Cain, and we'll see what that means in a moment also. But what we do find that at this time, society was practically godless. It was secular. Uh, they had urbanized and were living in cities. And they had become very corrupt and very violent. Violence filled the earth, it says. You know, of course, that most violence and most crime is caused in cities as opposed to country, simply because there's a bigger concentration of people uh, within cities, obviously. And the opportunities are greater for crime and for violence. That's just a fact of life, isn't it? And so, Genesis 6 that we just read gives us a very clear description of those days in which Noah lived. And that's what we want to look at a little bit tonight because Jesus said, if we can see that it's similar to today, then you know that He's coming is not very far away because the signs are before us. We don't know the exact day. We don't know the exact hour. So we can't date set but we can see the signs of his coming. Now, what is this way of Cain that had pervaded all of society, in fact, that the whole population, almost with very few exceptions? What was this way of Cain? Well, in Hebrews 11 and 4, you don't need to turn to this. Remember it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead yet speaks. Now we know that the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, we know that they were not ignorant of the fact, obviously because they had been told, I'm sure many times by Adam and Eve, after the fall, of course, that Trying to cover ourselves with fig leaves just doesn't work. The works of our hands is not enough to please God. And so when it came time for a sacrifice to be made unto God as an offering of worship, Abel did the right thing. He remembered the admonition of his mom and dad, remembered that God would not be pleased unless it was a, a sacrifice because his mom and dad had to be covered with skins so therefore, blood had to be shed, a life had to be taken, an innocent life had to die, a lamb had to die for them to be covered. So knowing that, what is able to do, he goes out and he takes the firstlings of his flock and he kills it. And he brings a sacrifice unto God. Blood was shed. What does Cain do? He goes out, he's a farmer, he goes out and he brings of the fruit of the land. Now, no doubt he was a hard-working man. Wouldn't doubt that for one minute. No doubt he brought the best of the land that he could bring, but it was unacceptable to God. There was no blood in it. There was no sacrificial lamb killed. It was the work of his hands. And no matter how good the work of his hands were, it was not enough to satisfy God. And God was showing us in type later on in life later on where we live in our day, that if we want our sins forgiven, if we come before a holy God, we've got to come with the blood. We've got to come with sacrifice. And Christ 
is our sacrifice. He shed His blood. He paid the price to satisfy a holy God. Now this way of Cain then is this business of men trying to deal with God on their own terms. Not wanting the cross, not wanting the blood, not wanting a sacrifice, not wanting a gory gospel, often as it is called, but wanting to come to God on their terms, by the works of their hands, by their own goodness and by their own feelings and by what they can do. So it's man-centered. And so Abel's sacrifice represented a religion that was God-centered. Cain's represented a religion that was man-centered. Abel comes before God, not with the work of his hands, but in faith with a sacrificial lamb. Cain comes with the work of his hands. Cain's way was the rejection of the blood atonement. And that's prevalent today, much more perhaps than you imagine. You may say, well, I know that there's great numbers of people today who go to church faithfully, and they belong to a church, their name's on the roll book, and they have been baptized into the church, and they're going to get buried beside it when they die, but they don't believe in the cross. They don't believe in the atonement. They don't believe in the blood sacrifice of Christ. Nice people, church-going people, very religious but no time for the cross, no time for the blood. There are multitudes of people like that. There's preachers in pulpit who's never, ever, ever preaches the blood, who never talks about the cross. That's the way of Cain. That's man saying, I'll approach God in my terms. I'll approach a holy God how I feel, the way I think it should be done. Now you can think of whole swathes of population who believes that. They won't say that, but that's what they believe. You ask them about Christ and the cross, and they don't believe it. They don't want it. No, when I go to my church, that's good enough for me. Well, it's not good enough for God, I'm afraid. But do you know that it has seeped even into evangelicalism? Do you know that it seeped into the church, the true church? You know, one of the top preachers in America and one of the top authors in America recently has written a book that's caused such a furore in America. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just... And, and basically what he's saying, although he's denying it, but it's there to read, is basically what he's saying is it's, it's universalism. It's believing that everybody will be saved one day and God's so good and loving and kind and merciful that nobody's going to go to hell and, and everybody will go to heaven at the end of the day. And, you know, and, and, and so that whole way of Cain, man's way of feeling this is how it's to be done because we don't really want that gore of the blood and we don't want that cross business and we don't want penal substitution. You know, the fact that Jesus died for our sins and took the punishment for our sins. You know, that very basic biblical teaching that we've had from the days of the apostles is under great attack today. Not by the godless crowd out there who doesn't even know what that's about, but by people within church. And that's the way of Cain. And they're saying that God wouldn't do that to his son because he's a loving God, but he's a just God. And they want to exalt the love of God and forget about the justice of God. And we can't do that. And this guy's written this book, and he refuses. He's been on talk shows about it. He refuses to actually say there's a literal hell. He won't say it. 
He says, hell is on earth. It's what you make of it. Jesus talked a lot about it, and he meant it literal. But that's the way of Cain. And so in that respect, we're living in those days. Old uh, General Booth, William Booth of the Salvation Army, 100 years ago, you know what he said? Here's what he prophesied. He said, the chief danger in the 20th century is religion without Christ, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Is that what we got today? <laughs> he was a prophet and he didn't know it. Way over in that little book of Jude, which is just before the book of Revelation, if I may just have a little look in here. Again, Jude writing about end times. And those who reject authority, and he talked about Sodom and Gomorrah and all the rest of it. And then he goes on down, verse 10, but these speak evil of whatever they, they do not know whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. <coughs> now what does that mean? Let me just very briefly, Os Guinness gives a lovely little insight into this. He said that Cain perverted the mode of worship just to have said to you, the mode of worship, God's way of worship is to come through the cross, is to come through the blood, is to come through His Son. Cain's way is my way, the modern way, the crossless way, the bloodless way, the modern way, the postmodern way. But then he says, Balaam perverted the motive of worship. Remember who Balaam was? Remember that prophet with the king of Balak? seeing Israel across the Jordan facing Jericho, was frightened. And he said to the prophet Balaam, he says, hey, come prophesy against them. Come on, talk to God. Give me a prophesy against them. And I'll give you money. I'll reward you handsomely for it. Oh, he says, no, I, I can't do that. I'm a prophet of God. I can't do that. Those are God's people. He says, come on, come on, come on. He says, all right, well, he started to prophesy. As soon as he opened his mouth, God blessed the people of Israel. <laughs> The king of, of Moab was mad he was. So he come again. He said, I'll give you a bigger reward. Come on, prophesy. He said, I can't do that. No, no, he said, you can't prophesy. And he gave him a bigger reward. So he opened his mouth and what came out? God blessed the people of Israel. So this went on for a while. And then, because of his greed, because of his greed, here's what he did. Because of gain, here's what he did. He said, you know, I don't have to prophesy. Here's how you'll get the children of Israel weakened. Why don't you hold a great big party and get the most sensuous, beautiful Moabite woman and then get the men of Israel to come to the party? Well, you know what happened at the party, didn't it? And because of that compromise, God cursed them and 24,000 of them died. But Cain did it out of pure greed. He prostituted his gifts for money. Do we not see that today? Do we not see many, 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 many people occupying pulpits because it's a job, because it's a career? 
Do we not see people on our television screens who are making fortunes of the backs of God's people, begging and pleading? <coughs> then he says, Korah perverted the manner of worship. Remember who Korah was? Remember that priest who, and Moses, remember in the wilderness, how that he, he got two or three men and 200 elders to come against Moses and against Aaron, against the prophet and against the high priest, against authority figures in the church, as it were, and how he came against them, and how he wanted to intrude into their offices, how he wanted to take over, how he rebelled against their authority. Very, very dangerous thing to rebel, rebel against the authority that God puts that doesn't mean that those who are in authority should abuse their authority. But it's dangerous to rebel against that authority. It does not please God. And it didn't please God with Korah because the earth opened up and swallowed them up and closed up again. We're living in days when people comes against authority, fights against it, comes against it, splits church, damages churches all over the place. Now this, this is the way of Cain. The days of Noah were days like that. There were also days when polygamy was championed. Did you notice there in chapter 6, in the beginning it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth that the daughters and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, that they took wives of them of all they chose. Now, nobody wants to marry an ugly wife. Don't get me wrong. Or an ugly husband for that matter. And we know that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But is it not true now as then, that there's such an emphasis on the outward. There's such an emphasis on the form, the shape, the cosmetic, the external, almost to the point where it doesn't matter about the inside, about the spiritual life. Somebody meets somebody, and they're attracted, and, and there's a natural thing to this, you're attracted by what you see, but listen, as, as, as believers especially, we need to be attracted by more than that. We need to say, is this a godly person? Does this person love the Lord? Is this person going to encourage me in the things of Christ, or are they not? Is this person going to help enhance my spiritual life? Are they going to bring my spiritual life down? But how many does that? Because we live in a society where bombard, bombard daily. I, I feel sorry for young women especially because there's whole, this whole pressure to conform to fashion and society. And if you don't, you feel out of it. And here's the reality. Most fashion today is made by homosexuals. That's a reality. That's just a fact of it. Why do you want women to look like men? That's one of the latest trends, by the way, in the fashion industry today. What do you think that is? Come on. And these are the days that we're living in when form and shape and outward cosmetic, that's the thing that really means is important. 
And whenever society treats marriage lightly, and it was treated very lightly, just whoever they chose. And whenever society tries to treat marriage lightly, we're in danger, big danger. And marriage today is just treated as just something. Well, it doesn't work. You just forget it. It doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. So it is. And whenever governments and prime ministers try to tell us that same-sex marriages is the model for the future, you know as a nation we are in deep, deep trouble. Well, that's what it was like in Noah's day. It was also a time in verse 5 when wickedness was great in the earth and every intent in the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. How, how worse can it get in our generation. I mean, sometimes you just despair, don't you? You look and you say, how worse can this possibly get? How much more evil can men concoct in their minds? British police just last week, who led this operation with other police forces around the world, they, they broke up a pedophile ring of 70,000 members. One pedophile ring, 70,000 members, and they range from, from young, young people right up to 80-year-olds, of people in every strata of society you care to think about, including the church. Are these not the days of Noah we're living in? You couldn't even hardly watch TV. British TV has got to be the, the worst in the world. There's not a comedian you could watch. There's hardly a thing you could watch on it, but there's blasphemy, there's swearing, there's innuendo. There's just, it's, just, it's like a sewer sweeping through our society. You know what I read the other day in the paper? I read that four-year-olds, parents are leaving the land, four-year-olds to have laptops in their bedrooms. I thought, this must be a mistake. I'm not reading this. But it was. It was right. Are they absolutely nuts or what? I keep telling you, parents, you need to learn how to operate computers. If you've got young people, please learn how to operate them. Please do it. You need to take control of that thing. It was a time also of great technological advancement. Noah had to build a great ark. Not a ship in the conventional way, more like a great big giant barge. The dimensions were humongous. In fact, it wasn't up to the 20th century. Right up to the 20th century. That, that's how long it had to take before men were building ocean liners as big as Noah's ark right up the 20th century. Massive thing. Stories high, we read there. So that this, this was not a backward, unenlightened people. The, these people were great engineers. Uh, they could build these massive, great, big things. And by the way, this ark, this boat, this great, big, humongous barge, it had to withstand the biggest natural disaster the world had ever seen. These are clever people. Never underestimate the cleverness and the ingenuity of mankind. God doesn't. 
In fact, after the flood, the men had populated the earth again. You come to Genesis 11, and what do you find? You find that man again is evil and wicked, and God says, because of their unity together in one language, God says, we're going to have to go down and confuse their languages because now nothing that they have imagined they could do would be withheld from them. Nothing. If we don't do something, they're building a great tower to their gods. Massive structure. You look at the pyramids of Egypt, they're still trying to work out how they did that today. They're, they're amazed at the sheer scale of the pyramids. So these are not a backward people. These were educated. These were engineers. These people had great brains and minds. They were great and inventive and, and ingenious in many, many ways. Is this not the generation that we live in of great technological advancement? I mean, it makes your head spin, doesn't it? My wee mother, God bless her, she died when she was 98. The last lot of years of her life, of course, she, she wasn't really compass mentis. Had she been, she would have been astounded at the advancements. Sometimes in just 10, 15, 20 years, you just say, well, how in the world did that, that our world hold change? Can you imagine the world? You young people cannot imagine even the world without mobile phones. We had a world where we didn't even have water toilets. <laughs> it's not so long ago that man took his first flight in an airplane, canvas and wood, over Kitty Hawk in America. And I go into the morning, people just get bored of it and go into the moon. And just after a while in the 60s, people just get bored of it. It's just going to the moon, so what? So we're living in times of great technological advancement, just like Noah's day. But this was also a time of unparalleled violence. Are these not days of unparalleled violence? In movies, in television, in games, Xboxes, all that other stuff. Violence, 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 violence. Our children are getting desensitized to it. Really are. Some of you wouldn't go to a movie unless it shoot them up and blow them up. You'd be bored in five minutes. Why is that? Because that's what you're just feeding yourself continually. It was a time of great delusion. A time of great delusion. In Matthew chapter 24 again. I'll just read a little bit earlier than where we read, a little bit prior to where we read. Jesus again talking about the very, very last days, very, very end times. Verse 23 says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. You ought to underline that in your Bible. That's you that God's talking about. If possible, Deception will be so close to the real thing that if possible, even the lack would be deceived. See, I have told you beforehand. 
Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. You say, what that's got to do with us today? It's got a lot to do with us. Because there's many who say that they're this, that they're that, that they're the other. And they're not. In fact, in Second Thessalonians, where it goes over there in chapter 2, in verse 8, again speaking of end times, and then the lawless one will be revealed, that's the Antichrist, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God sent them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Young Backy there showed me a book there just a few weeks ago. Somebody had had given it or loaned it to her and it was it was some some guy in America who was teaching about the end times in it and though he said some things that were probably truthful but then he came out with this great statement uh, just having read just five minutes of it he wasn't long to get into it by the way he came out with this great statement that he is one of the two witnesses of Revelation 11 What? Am I reading this right? Am I seeing this? What sheer arrogance. What unbelievable deception. And you know what? There's people who will believe that. I, I told you before, I make no apologies for saying again. A couple of years ago, I still go on today in the Philippines. Fernando could tell you there is a guy, a pastor, who calls himself the Son of God, not a Son of God, the Son of God. He says, Jesus was the Son of God. He went back to heaven. God needed another Son on earth. He says, I'm Him. I'm the Son of God. He's got a mega church. He's got thousands of people worshiping, believing, truly believing He is the Son of God. <coughs> this is the generation we live in. <coughs> there are people who will prophesy to you anything. I don't know who they are. I don't know their track record. I don't know where they come from, where they go to. Are they under any authority to anybody? Hey, listen, we need to be careful. We need to be very, very, very careful. If possible, even the very delight would be deceived. That's how close it comes to the real thing. Times of great delusion. But Genesis 6, 3, God says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. That means he's controlled by his fleshly and carnal ways. Yet his days shall be 120 years. God gave that generation 120 years space to repent. Because God's merciful. And he's long-suffering, the Bible says, not willing that any should perish. All should come to repentance. Did they repent? No. Did they believe Noah? No. Did they care what he was doing, building that great big boat? No. Because they were going the way of Cain. And they were deluded. And they did not repent. In 2 Peter 3, if you recur to read that, we'll have time. Verses 1 to 13. 
It's a mirror image of the generation we live in today. But in spite of all of that, and this is the bit that comes to us, in spite of all of that, it was a time of faithful witness. Genesis 6 and 10, it tells us that Noah walked with God. He was a perfect and upright man. That means he was, doesn't mean he was sinless, but he was blameless. Man of great integrity. And above all, a man who walked with God. There's only three people that says that about here. Before the fall, it says that Adam walked with God. And a long, 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 long time before Noah came along, it says that Enoch walked with God. And then there's a long, long gap and only one man, only one man walked with God. But God is never without a witness in every generation. And God looks down on this earth tonight, and He's looking for men and women and boys and girls who will walk with God, who will see the signs, who will not laugh and carry on and fool about and think this is some big joke, but will realize that Christ is coming soon. And they will walk with God. It says in Hebrews eleven seven, by faith Noah being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. 2 Peter 2.5 says, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. For 120 years, God had a witness. He had a testimony on the earth. For 120 years, Noah walked with God. And what he built eventually became a sign of what condemned the world because they refused the ark. Do you think he built that ark on his own? I don't think so. Certainly his sons helped him. This was a mammoth task. I'm sure that others helped him to build the ark. Perhaps he hired people to help him build the ark. Did they believe what he was doing when he told them that judgment was coming? No, they didn't believe it. They thought it was some old crackpot. But hey, it's a job. A job's a job. I don't care if my boss is one of these Bible bashers. As long as he gives me a pay at the end of the month, I don't care. But this was no crackpot. Every word he said was true. He was a preacher of righteousness. And even what he was doing every day by his life and by his lip was a testimony to that generation. Enoch and his generation was the exact same, by the way. So today, you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, we are those who witness for Christ. We are those who testify. We are those who tell people, who show them the signs 
Get on TV and talk about this. Let me tell you, most of the TV audiences, I'm talking about the church today, will switch you off in a flash because they'll say you're a doomsday and you're a fanatic. Tell me something that makes me feel good. Tell me something that makes me warm and fuzzy. Do not tell me the Lord's coming. Do not tell me about judgment to come. Don't tell me about those things. I don't want to hear that. Well, I'm sorry. That was the generation that Noah lived in. This is the same generation we live in. They don't want to hear this. But it's true. And it's coming. If we don't warn our generation of judgment to come, who will? If we don't tell them the world is in imminent danger, who is going to do it? I tell you who's doing it right now. It's not the preachers. It's not the church. It's the scientists. It's environmentalists. That's who's saying it. It's the scientists saying something's got to give. This world can't go on the way it is. Earth is going to blow itself up. Earth is going to do something. This world can't just stay as it is. The environmentalists is telling us this world we're going to starve to death. We have population explosions. They're the ones, I'm not saying they're right, but they're the ones who are sending the warnings out. Imagine. It's the church's job to do this. Enoch, who walked with God, was a prophet. And he called his son Methuselah. Methuselah means when he goes, it will come. When he goes, it will come. What's the it? Judgment. Judgment. When he goes, it will come. You can read in Jude. Verses 14, 15, let me read it to you. Now, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also. This is the Canaanites, not the Canaanites, the Canaanites, those who follow the way of Cain. Saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, naming his son Methuselah was a prophetic sign to his generation. When he goes, it shall come. Isn't it interesting? And the very month he died was when the flood came, when judgment came. Even though he lived nearly a thousand years, a thousand years to God is just one day. And every single day he lived on the earth, he was getting closer to the day he would leave this earth, to the day he died. And every single day he got closer to the day he died, it was getting closer to the judgment of God coming. And when he died, the flood came. Judgment of God fell. God told Noah to build an ark. The word ark is found 28 times in the Old Testament. 26 of those times it refers to Noah's ark we talked about here. Twice it refers to that little ark of bulrushes that Moses was put in by his mother who floated him down the Nile. Same word is used. And in both of them, that little ark that Moses was in, 
Noah's Ark, both of them, they were covered over, daubed over with pitch, it says, pitch. Like bitumen or tar. Now here's the interesting thing. In Leviticus 17.11, where it uses the word atonement, that the atonement of the soul is through the blood, the same word atonement is the same word that's translated pitch. So, the ark was a type of Christ who was to come, who is the atonement for our souls through his blood on the cross. He is the one that man needs to go to to be safe from the judgment to come. He is the one that we direct. Just as Noah built that great ark, telling them that judgment was coming, the ark was the only thing that could save a man. Judgment is coming to this world, the only thing that's going to save a man is Christ. Nothing else. No church, no pastor, no priest, no minister, nothing. Only Jesus Christ. He's the only one who died and rose again. He is our ark. He is a refuge. He is our Savior. And so we are to point men to Christ. In Genesis chapter 7, we'll not read that whole chapter, but if you did, whenever the animals come in, we read about two by two, but when you read seven or Genesis 7, it says they come in by seven. The clean animals come in by sevens. The unclean come in by two. But if you read on, whenever they all were in, and Noah and his wife, his sons, his daughters, when they were all in, eight in all, you know what it says? And God shut the door. After all of those years of warning, after all of those years of preaching righteousness, no one believed him except his family. And whenever the rain started to come, and whenever the ground began to open up, and the wells began to spring up, and the water began to rise, and the earth began to get flooded, you can imagine the screams of people who would be looking safety. Anyone living near the ark would remember and would know then, but it was too late. And even if they came banging on the doors, God closed the door. Nobody could open it. The moment had passed. The Bible says that God, says that Jesus has power on earth to forgive sins. On earth. There's no second chance once this life is over. There's no second chance once he comes back again. It's only now while the door is open. There's come a day when God will close the door. And then it's over forever. In spite of all Noah's warnings and pleadings, he didn't make many converts. That's how bad that generation was. But at least he saved his family. Thank God for that. Thank God his family came into the ark. And we need to pray our families into the ark too, don't we? We need to walk with God. And we need to be witnesses of his righteousness.
and we need to warn where we can and when we should. And above all, we need to pray and trust and believe, and I believe and trust and pray that our families will come into the ark and be saved, eight and all, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Amen. That's all I'm going to share about that tonight. But it's enough to let you know that we are living in the days that Jesus talked about. There's much more we could say, but we haven't time. But how much more do we need? Do you know that one of the signs it's not, you have to look into Matthew 24 to get really get it. You know what one of the signs is? You know what one of the great signs is? And we're living and seeing it every single day. You know what one of the greatest signs of Christ's return is before he returns is the Jew going back to their homeland. And they're going by their thousands back to Israel from the four corners of the earth. That's one of the great signs of his return. <laughs> We're going to pray. You've been sitting a wee while and you're probably a little bit stiff, but could you stand? Lord, help us not to be ignorant of the times that we live in. Times of great spiritual delusion, declension and deception. Lord, help us, Lord, to know this word, to trust your word. Lord, it's coming under such attack today because the enemy of our souls knows the importance of this word because in this world spells his doom forever. And Lord, we thank you that we believe it. It's a light onto our path. It's a lamp onto our feet. And we thank you for it tonight. So Lord, help us in these days that we live in. Lord, to be able to be able to share with others and to show others and to encourage others about what's ahead. And then to remind them that there is a wonderful Savior. That the Lord Jesus Christ wants to save their eternal soul. Wants to welcome them into the ark. Wants them to be part of the great family of God. And Lord, as Clifford said earlier, that we can look up because our redemption is drawing near. The day is almost upon us when the Lord will return. And Lord, even though there are scoffers in these days, as there was in those days, yet, Lord, we look to you and we trust and believe every word that you've said. So we give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, that tonight that you have saved our eternal souls. We did not deserve it, did not earn it, but Lord, you gave it freely by your grace. And we thank you that by faith we received it in the name of Jesus. So Lord, as we watch your TV screens this week, as we read our daily newspaper, help us to see that we're seeing prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes and open our eyes to the truth of it. And then, Lord, help us not to be worried or concerned personally because you promised us that you would never leave us, that you would never forsake us. And our redemption is soon to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.